Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Castle Rock. Today we'll be covering the fourth episode from Castle Rock titled The Box. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> Oh my god, that movie is so fucked up. <laughs> Brad Pitt, man, screaming what's uh, in the box. Everybody's gotta know that, right? <laughs> Everybody's gotta know that movie seven, right? That's what's not in a the sp- box? <laughs> Spoiler alert, but come on, how old is that movie? Oh, it's like oh early nineties, I think. Yeah, come on. Such a good movie. God, that movie kind of fucked me up a little bit the first time I watched it. Um well I'm I'm so excited to get ready and start talking about our top five on this week's episode. But before we jump into our top five, um I'd like to throw in a quick word from this week's sponsor. So are you on a health and fitness journey? Why not get paid for it? 10 women are needed who want to get paid to share their health and fitness journey on social media. You do not need to be in great shape. You just need a passion for helping others. No experience necessary. Trainings are included. You do need to be a hard worker and self-motivated. Email insideout.fitlife1 at gmail.com for more information. Yeah, and if there's a lot of other things too going on with uh, Inside Out Fit Life. So if you're kind of like, well, I don't really want to share my you know stuff on social media. There are you know either supplements or free training, um, and they're also doing these kind of fit groups. So it's like a couple of weeks where you kind of get held accountable to do these different workouts. They show you how they go. Again, I've been doing a, an awesome workout that comes on their online uh, uh, sign up, which is super cheap. And uh, I had to w- let Rima wait a little bit because I was getting my beast mode on and getting huge <laughs> for the beach. Um, so it's I, I definitely think it's working really well for me. Um, I can't even fit in the screen anymore when Rima and I are doing our show. So I know. Um. He's filling it out, folks. <laughs> he's, he's bulking up. But yeah, if you just want to inquire anything, go ahead and check it out. It's insideout.fitlife1 at gmail.com. Amazing. You are certainly uh, motivating me to get back into shape as well. I I definitely need something. I love it when you have something that also helps hold you accountable, whether it's a Mm -hmm. program or something that you can share in a community, or if you're like doing a workout with a friend, things like that helps keep you motivated. So I think that's a great idea. All right. So with that, let's jump into our top five. I think I started last week. Sean, why don't you get us started this week? All right. So my number five is, uh, it kind of ties in a little bit to the evilness of Shawshank Prison, but specifically the scene with the, I I think he's the vice warden. That's what I'm calling him anyway. Yeah. Deputy warden, I think. But I like vice warden. It sounds a little Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) So the vice warden, you know, decides to go down and see the Shawshank prisoner and is kind of trying to show a little bit of aggression, a little bit of intimidation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he talks about how, you know, you guys should have took the deal because, you know, we're the biggest employer in the county, which is all kinds of like conspiracy theory or, uh, uh, you know, cover-ups, you know, things like that, corruption. All of that is just bleeding through through this guy. Uh, and what he's, you know, one of the stories he starts telling this kid is, you know, about how he had some time in Iraq and how there's a guy just like him who wouldn't tell them their name. And so what they do, they mm. fed him his teeth. Ugh. And uh, he said by the time they got to the molars, you know, the guy had a name. 
which again is you know you you think about this private prison or the, I guess it's a private prison. It's privately owned. It's not a yep. public prison. It's not you know run by the state. Mm-hmm. You know they they basically own the county because they employ so many people. And you wonder like that feels like this is the epicenter of the evil that yes. is in this county is in Castle Rock. Yes, and. I love whenever you see uh, TV shows, movies, anything where you see this kind of D-bag dude like try to like buff up on somebody. Like he'd be like, what up, bro? Because that's what he's doing. He's like <laughs> stepping up on him because he thinks he's just a kid that he can intimidate. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the kid stands up. He hasn't really talked much, but he says – I believe this is from Revelations. I just kind of looked it up, but mm-hmm. um, hopefully I do it justice. But he says, he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He wears a cloak with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And as he's saying this, he's getting up and kind of walking towards mm-hmm. uh, this vice warden. And the warden's freaking out. He's like, oh, oh, back up, back up. And so smooth, like the kid just grabs the door and shuts his gate. You know, it's almost like he's protecting the warden from, do- from like touching him. Uh-huh. To basically, because from, from the gist we get, if you touch him, bad things happen. Yeah. Like he, you, you don't want to mess with him yeah. at all. So, you don't want to spend a lot of time with him in in uh, a cell like that. That's for sure. As the uh, last occupant of that cell yeah. found out. <laughs> or spoiler alerts: give fist bumps. It seems like that's not a good <laughs> idea either. Nope, that did not seem like a very good idea either. I know we'll probably get into that more. I like that. I like all of that. I'm I'm gonna jump in because that's actually my number two. Not specifically the warden, but he definitely ties into that. Um, and, and so that leads me to talk about the kid. So I, I feel like we're still kind of getting a slow burn with this story. Uh, we're not getting a whole lot. We're still not, you know, getting too much happening with his story and who he is. He's still not talking a lot. Um, I think we probably got more words out of him this episode. Mm-hmm. Ben and others, that's for sure. Um, but we do get him in some really creepy scenes. That scene that you just mentioned, and then the scene later on with um, Officer um, Zaleski, you know, was super creepy. And I did you get like he looked? I know Bill Skarsgård is tall anyway. I mean, he's this you know beautiful. Uh, um, oh, from oh shit! Is, it, I is just, he Norwegian? Norwegian. Thank okay. you. Yes, him and his brother um, Alexander and and. Is it Gunther? I'm sorry, from Westworld, I think was his name. They're all tall people. I mean, those Norwegians are these big, beautiful, tall people. And so I know he's already tall. I don't know his exact height, but he looked kind of freakishly tall. And I know it was like the camera angle um, that they had that he, and I'm sure that was on purpose. I'm guessing that camera angle to make him look like he was really towering over this deputy warden and his name escapes me, but I think he's doing a really great job as a villain in the, in Shawshank. That's for sure. Um, so when he's citing, like you said, revelations, um, you know, who threatens to feed his teeth to him um, to get him to start talking. And and yes, the passage that is from Re- Revelations, I'm just going to read um, just prior to that. It says, then I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse and its rider is called Faithful and True. With righteousness, he judges and wages war. He has eyes like blazing fire and many royal crowns on his head. He has a name written on him that only himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. That's a little, um, I took that from maybe a different, you know how they have those yeah. newer versions of the Bible, but basically the same, same thing. So I, you know, I've, I mentioned before um, when we were, um, I don't remember which episode that we were talking about before about Revelations and how it was 
you know, this weird thing in mind when I used to read the Bible, Revelations was always my favorite. <laughs> so I remember reading this a lot when I was a kid. And I had to look it up just to be sure that I remembered correctly because I was young when I used to read the Bible and Revelations a lot. Um, my dark and twistiness goes back a long ways, folks. Um, the rider on the white horse is commonly seen as the Antichrist. Um, mm. So I thought that was interesting. But I don't think that this kid is considered, I don't think he's talking about himself. Um, I think that, I don't think the kid is considered to be the Antichrist. I don't think he's talking about himself. I think that's like a red herring. That's kind of throws agree, off. Yeah. I kind of yeah. feel like the same thing. I was just going to even say the same thing. Like he's, it seems too obvious that he's the Antichrist. Yes. Um, be, and it seems like they're really trying to push it on us, like that the kid is evil or, you know, that he's a baddie. But to me, he's more of a victim than a villain is, is what I keep feeling. You know, if you read between the lines in the story, I just, I, I don't go for the obvious stuff. I just think it's too obvious that they're throwing all of that stuff at us. So I don't think he's talking about himself. Um, and something that I read, I, I won't take credit for this, making this connection. And I don't remember, um, I forgot to make the, um, the reference where I found this, but I read this online somewhere. Um, one last thing about the kid's words in the, in the episode, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Um, so for anyone who is familiar with the Dark Tower series and some of the other Stephen King novels that mention him, um, this could undoubtedly um, set you off and remind you of a reference to the Crimson King. Mm, okay. Do you, have you ever heard of the, in the Stephen King universe, the Crimson King? Uh, vaguely. Uh, not super familiar, but yeah, yeah. So it's it's a theory that I, I read out there that those lines might be in reference to him. And the Crimson King is considered to be the most denom, de, denom, <laughs> demonic. Demonic. <laughs> How many drinks have you had tonight, <laughs> Rima? Um, the most demonic of King's villains. And he's really considered to be the true evil within all of Stephen King's, like his whole universe, you know, because everything kind of ties together. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Crimson King is... is, is um, mentioned in many, many of King's novels. So I thought that was super interesting and I thought it was definitely worth worth mentioning. So I like that whole scene. I like how we keep getting these Bible verses. We had the one, what was it, from the last episode from Matthew Deaver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I find that really interesting. And it I thought it was great. I thought Bill Skarsgård was great. I know he's not saying much, but... He's, he's acting with his like physical presence, mm-hmm. you know, which is a very, very difficult thing to do. Um but yeah, I like that like in this whole thing, we're really getting in the last two episodes. It's like, okay, I feel like this is a religion thing. This is a good versus evil in a religious sense. Mm-hmm. And they're not beating us over the head with it. You know, it wasn't like very first episode, Bible, thump, this is what mm-hmm. we're doing. Although we did kind of see like, you know, his father was a priest. So you can kind of like maybe start seeing some of the dots and, you know, putting the lines together. But, you know, there's numerous stories where there's a priest involved somehow. Oh, It yes. doesn't need to necessarily be good and evil in a religious sense, but... Um, you know, I feel like this is a good, like onion type story where you're just peeling a little back at a time. You're like, Oh, I just want to keep going. Um, I know it still doesn't feel too slow. This episode, I would say maybe a li- like it wasn't slow, but it was probably slower than the one so far. Um, but Oh my gosh, at the end, did it pick up and kind of like catch your breath a little bit or take your breath away a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely anxious for more story. We're already, um, this one is episode four. So Almost halfway, uh, have, yeah. I know. I, I feel like it's all going to start really um, – I think the pace is definitely going to pick up if anyone is complaining about the pace. Um, I'm okay with it so far, but um, I'm definitely excited. That was a really good number five. 
Yep. So I what do you have it. for your number five, Rima? Um, my number five is just in general, I wanted to just touch on the references that we have in this episode to the title of um, the title of the episode, The Box. So first we have the box that, or cage. I'm going to call it a box, but it looked more like a cage. We get those little flashes in the very beginning in that cold open when Henry is sleeping. He's getting those little flashes of um, like where he was, looked to be where he was kept when he was mm-hmm. gone for those 11 days. Um, that was a box or a cage that he was in during his visions. Uh, his mom, Ruth, says the only way she's leaving the house is in a box. Mm. Uh, whenever he was talking about, you know, when she's like, you know, I'm not going to Texas with you and leaving Castle Rock, that's her home. She, she said she'd leave in a box. Um, another box was the cage the kid was in, the one that the warden made. Whenever Officer Lizaleski had drawn it out to show Henry, that was a box. There was another box that Henry found in the Desjardins' backyard. And I'm thinking, what the hell was that used for? Um the box that contained Henry's police file while he was missing oh, that he yeah. that he found at Desjardins um, home or that was shown to him. There was that box. And that was all that I could find. I thought that was a lot of references um, in one episode uh, for the title. So I didn't know if you picked up on anything else or did I miss anything yeah. or listeners feel free if you picked up on something that I didn't. It might be a little bit of a stretch, but we do see the his dad's box, his casket. Um, That's right. Being oh, taken good out one. and moved. Um, so that one you could probably say as well. The cold open on this I thought was really interesting because you kind of see like you see that he's dreaming. Mm-hmm. It's the whole idea too of this is like, well, that is that what is that real? Is that what happened? You know, we see him as a kid. We see a Bible and a car. Like his, it, he gets to play with the car and he has a Bible and he's in this cage that has a dirt floor. He's playing in the dirt. You know, and you you wonder. It's like, okay, well, is the Desantis the Stardens? What was the how, De- what they De- Jardins, De Jardines. Desjardins. It? It, was, Desjardins. it was a really weird name. It almost sounded like deja vu for a couple times I heard. Well, it is French. So if you go with that first part, you'll kind of go into into that last name, Desjardins. Deja Sardines. <laughs> there you go. Um, Desjardins. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like it's creepy. Like as you're watching the episode go, it's like, well, shit, like is that the dude that had him captured? Um, yeah. Uh, and you, you think back like in earlier episodes where, you know, he's burning that videotape, like what the fuck was on that videotape? Like, you know, is this some like super creepy thing even more that like, that's not the only time he's ever been in that cage. Um, I know. I can't shake the feeling that Henry's dad was not such a great guy. Yeah. And I think the reason he's got so much of a kind of like has his dad on the pedestal is cause he doesn't remember anything with that. Right. Which you know, that's that's a super sad scene getting ready to happen is like when he comes to the realization that his dad was not a good person, mm-hmm. like, you know, for 30 some odd years or 20 some odd years, he's like had his dad on a pedestal. He was a priest, you know, took him in, you know, he can't remember anything about him. But from what everybody's telling him, he was a good guy and took care of him and then find out that he probably did something horrible like that would just crush you i think as an adult like that absolutely no therapy could pay for that yeah no kidding good so number four what do you got all right so for my number four it's kind of a scene i thought was a little interesting uh was when molly was showing uh the house <laughs> so she's showing showing the old warden's house and she's going around she's pulling things off that kind of reference that you know this was the warden's house um this couple that they were showing it to was super creepy. Uh, <laughs> so, like, they talk about, she's like, oh, well, you could turn the basement into a mother-in-law suite. And it's like, oh, um, I, I thought she said, like, the wife said that his his mom was dead. Yep. 
Um, and he's like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Like, that's okay. Not like his mother. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Are there any, I guess there's Carrie where there's a Stephen King like mother issue, but I'm trying to think if there's any men issues with moms. I can't um, think of any off the top of my head. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. I'm sure the listeners will let us know if there's any other Stephen King works that maybe we're not as familiar with where there's the uh, mother issues. But the other thing that's interesting, so she apparently hid the uh, um, urn in the freezer, <laughs> which one, like if you're looking at a house and you see an urn, if you know it's an older house, an older lady lived there, like I think that might be somewhat expected. Yeah. But my question is like, who the fuck looks in a freezer while you're doing a, a walkthrough on a house? Thank you. I am. I was I had that same question and I actually had that as my number three was Molly. And in that whole scene, I just thought, Melanie Linsky is again just killing it in this episode even though we didn't get her as much in this episode as the last one she was just brilliant in her acting and and nailing every every episode or nailing every scene and nailing every line it was perfect but I thought the same thing he comes around the corner with that in his hands and I'm like dude why are you in the freezer now look I'll totally admit I'm one to go poking around in places (laughs) you know I'll go look in your medicine cabinet if I'm in your bathroom and you know um so if 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 I'm a guest in your house you better hide some shit that you don't want me to see (laughs) I'm not gonna look at everything but I'll 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 remember that if you ever stay I'm gonna hide like the weirdest stuff you're like oh okay wow yeah Sean, well, I'm, totally, I have to leave. I'm totally outing myself here so i probably shouldn't be doing that but i have to be honest and just say yeah i'm gonna you know i won't go through every single drawer that you have because look there's some things you can't unsee and there's some things <laughs> i just don't want to know about people especially people that i know but i'll poke i'll poke in your medicine cabinet just go oh what do they got going on in here and then i'm done um so and, and i'm very observant i'm a very observant person i pick up on things and details um very easily and quickly so i thought the same thing i was like i don't think that as nosy as what i can be i would be poking around in someone's freezer knowing that they still live there anyway i mean it's one thing to just at least view from the outside the refrigerator like oh it's a good refrigerator might open the like if the appliances are coming with the house i guess that would be normal to at least open the door like it's working right like the light works the refrigerator seems to work okay that's good i'm done but I don't know. That just seemed to be kind of invasive, and I thought the same thing. Who does yeah, that? I think that would be like during the walkthrough where you're kind of getting it appraised and everything. You're like, oh, okay, let me check to make sure this works. So that's what the appraiser does. Yeah. They go through and make sure all that stuff works. So, um, But you know, Molly gets outed. She's like, listen, he didn't die in the house, so we don't have to like let you guys know about that. Mm-hmm. Although there is numerous deaths that have happened in that house that we've, <laughs> we've been told about earlier. <laughs> And, you know, she's sitting there, she's like, listen, a serial strangler died in my house and I sleep like a baby, which it's is good. You know, not factual because she's not sleeping like a baby. I know. And her house is getting torn apart like every other day. <laughs> but the other part that was super funny was, you know, she's trying to like talk them into this. She's like, listen, you know, when downtown gets rejuvenized, the, you know, the, the house price of this place are going to shoot through the roof, which by the way, it's been reshingled. So, you know. <laughs> know, she was so good at throwing all of that in there. And she's totally right. She didn't technically have to disclose that since, um, you know, he didn't die or, or kill himself on the property or in the house as a former realtor um you know that is something that i i am aware of but um she was being i thought though that she went a little too far in talking about you know castle rock and its history because i'm like well 
you aren't helping your cell here. You know, I don't know. I was curious as to why she was going as far as what she was. And she's like, okay, well, I don't have to disclose what happened here to the former owner uh, because it didn't happen on the property or in the house. But yes, you know, okay, he he did. and, And that's what's currently happened. And that's why, you know, his widow would like to sell the house. But I feel like it's still not helping her because then they'll just try to drive the price down lower. I mean, they already mentioned it was priced to sell. Well, that just shows that she's in a desperate, you know, state that she, she wants to get out because she's lost her husband. So that doesn't help also going on and on about, you know, Oh, well, you know, Castle Rock's kind of fucked up. You might not want to move here, (laughs) you know? So I just, I didn't see her reasoning in that, but I thought everything else she totally nailed. She was really funny hiding that deepest sympathy card that was on the mantle, um, how she was trying to distract them when she spotted the urn on the kitchen table. And she's like, oh, and if you look out the window, you'll notice in the backyard all the local flora. And, <laughs> and she quickly hides it and stuff. Check these out, ding, ding, double pane glass. Yes, you'll be you'll you'll be uh, thankful come January. Um, she, she, Melanie Linsky was just brilliant. I really yeah. am enjoying her in this in this um, series so far. Yep, I agree. That was my number three, actually. So that was really great. Oh, nice. So what's your number four? Number four. I feel like I'm jumping around so much because you're nailing all my other ones. We're in sync tonight, Sean. We're a little off on our numbers, but we got the same stuff going. So my number four is just Henry's private mission. So we already talked a little bit about these glimpses that he's getting when he was dreaming. And I'm curious, um, I don't know if this is just being back in Castle Rock where all of this originated, if, if, if it's stirring up memories and it's bringing things out you know, that he, he had either suppressed or somehow was, uh, he was made to forget what happened by some unknown force or unknown something that made him forget whatever it was, or maybe being around Molly, um, is somehow making him see these things. But we've talked about that, those glimpses. We met, we said he was in a cage, there was a dirt floor, he was in a basement, there was a Bible and a toy car nearby. Um, he, so we, we know that he's starting to kind of stray a little bit on his original reason for being there and he's there to help that kid, um, and, and help him get out. And, um, so he starts digging on his disappearance from his father's death. He finds this old house who belongs to a person of interest in his case is Vince Desjardins. Um, and this Vince Desjardins, this is a little Easter egg, probably be mentioned later on in, um, in our podcast when we get to the news portion, um, Vince Desjardins, folks might remember him. He was one of the guys in the gang from Stand By Me. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. And that, and I mean, from what I'm finding out, it's not just a reference to him. It's supposed to really be him. Um, so I thought that was super cool. And of course, the guy that we see is his brother, Joseph. Um, but I thought that whole, whole scene, him in the house was really creepy when he tells him that he didn't touch him. Yeah, that's... This actually what? ties into my number three, which is just the the, the deja sar, the deja sardines. Um. <laughs> yeah, and then when he finds that box in the backyard, we touched on that already. I don't. I think that again is another red herring. I don't think Henry was kept in that box, but I do yeah. think something or someone. Yeah. Because it's it's Let's very like like you, he opens it and you see just like a pan. I don't even think there's any food in it. It just kind of showed that there's a pan and a fork. It looked really rotted, like it was you know like it had been there for quite some time and like, like a left spoon. There and forgotten. Yeah. But yeah, whenever he brings it up the he just he doesn't even really bring it up. He's like, so do you have a dog or did your brother have a dog? And the guy's like, no. 
Like, well, and I think that that was just a way because dogs don't use spoons, right? Um, mm-hmm. Why would there be a spoon? So, and, and I mean, I think Henry knew that. I think that was just a way for him to try to, you know, draw him out. Like, what the hell's up with that damn box out there? Yeah. And what the hell was it for? So, we have all of that going, that whole scene with him and this creepy Joseph Desjardin at, at this house. We then get his interaction with Alan Pangborn, which they've since the first episode have had this little dance going back and forth. And we finally get Pangborn and his, and only how Scott Glenn can deliver this, you know, he's like, let's cut the shit. And Mm -hmm. he tells him straight up that he's like, you know, he tells him the whole story about how his dad gave him this note saying that Henry did it. Essentially you pushed your dad off this cliff. And um, so you can see that that really hits Henry hard so much. So he's so shocked with the news thinking that he could be responsible because he doesn't remember clearly, um, you know, that he or, you know, what had happened. And he's so shocked by it that that's when he decides to abandon the hearing and he's going to go advise the kid to take that settlement and go back to Texas. Um, So I just I, I. see where we're kind of digging in a little bit. He starts to dig in a little bit more to his past, what happened to his dad, what happened while he was gone now that he's home and kind of getting away from his original plan. So I don't know how all that's really going to play out if, if you know, the and, and how that leads into the story with the kid and things like that. But um, I don't know. I'm just interested to see how the rest of that unfolds. What did you think about all of that? Uh, so, I mean, talking about the Desjardins, um, like it's really interesting that this house is his place of business. Yeah. And it is falling apart. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk in. First off, like I, I'm kind of curious what in Castle Rock. It seems like nobody cares if you just walk into their home. Yeah, you know, Molly open door policy. Couple, <laughs> yeah, Molly did a couple episodes ago. Henry does it this episode. Mm-hmm. And as you walk in, there's a piano that has fallen through a floor. You yep. know, so it's like the question is like, is that just from rot, or did like what's the story behind that? Did something happen to cause it to fall? Yep. Uh, let's see. Place of business. Um, Let's see. Uh, we find out that uh, Desjardins' brother uh, had a felony charge. And that's something that Henry's kind of tracking down. And we learned it was just basically felony insurance fraud. So it wasn't even anything too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was interesting to me was the the character of uh, the Desjardins that was there when he found – when he figured out that that was Henry, Henry mm-hmm. Deaver – his character changed completely. Yes. He was no longer the, oh, I'm just a barber. It was a, like a, a sinister, dark, like like almost obsessive type of personality came poking through. I agree. And he's like, oh, follow me. And one thing is like if you're following somebody through a house, like don't let them get out of your sight, especially in a house like this. Because I was waiting for him to come around a corner and this dude have like an axe or something and be like, here's Johnny. <laughs> yeah. And we find out that he finds a box. And, you know, like I said, it's box number two that I had written on mine was the files. And it's the police files. So this guy had gone in because there was some kind of flood in the police station. Uh, Henry was told that these were all destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so he's going through this and he's trying to figure out, he's like, well, why the why the hell do you have these? And it was super creepy. Like, we've already talked about a little bit, but he's like, I, I got these because I wanted to know what they said about me. Yeah. And I mean, you're kind of like, why? And it's like, you know, I never touched you, right? Which creepy. Yeah. Like there's no, like, if you say that to anybody, like no matter the situation, like red alert, you know, warning Will Robinson, like something's not right. Yeah. Like that's something 
you don't say that unless you're guilty. It seems like, um, so the only other, I don't know if it references anything, but when he was talking about the carbon dating on the bones, they mentioned the Nevada testing. Yep. Um, and so I don't know if that ties into anything at all, except just kind of a little fact, but it was just kind of interesting him bringing that up. I agree. Uh, that whole exchange was so creepy. And that dude, um, I don't know the actor's name offhand, but I've seen him at, and other things. And he, he did a really great job in pulling off the creepy factor in this whole interaction. And you mentioned the piano falling through the floor. Clearly the house has not been very well maintained. He looks like a bit of, bit of a hoarder when you're walking through the rooms and you see all the piles of boxes everywhere. And I actually thought as, as, as awesome as this show is, and I'm really digging it as far as like the writing and the characters and, and the story so far, it hasn't been very visually you know, pleasing or stunning, mm. I should say. I mean, there's been some images of Shawshank that have, have been kind of stunning just to see, oh, look, Shawshank, because it's kind of like a big deal in the whole Stephen King universe. Um, but I thought it was just very interesting to see this uh, piano that had fallen through that was very visual. And I, I really liked that just as a, as a note that I had. Um, we did get some good scenes of Shawshank, by the way. That one, uh, we had like the rooftop, uh, mm-hmm. which reminded me of the the tar scene in Shawshank whenever they're tarring the the rooftops everyone who has watched Shawshank as many times um, as we all have you'll know what I'm talking about <laughs> um, so yeah I agree that I don't know I don't know how that mixes in I, I think it's too obvious to think that this guy had anything directly involved but I do think that we were shown that box for a reason I do think that somebody or something was held there. I don't think it was Henry. I think that's too obvious, but, um, I think we, you know, I I think it will come to play later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So good one. So so what's your, I think, what's your number three? I, well, I already covered it. We talked about Molly. Molly was my number three and it was pretty short and sweet because she was not in at that. I mean, she was a little, there's those interactions. I did have one question about Molly that I had written here for my number three that I wanted to see what, what you thought. Do you think that she was going to tell Henry that she was responsible for his father's death before they were interrupted? I think she's tried a couple times. I think Mm -hmm. she tried during the, uh, when he bailed her out. And I think she was trying to tell him this time when he stopped by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought, I think for sure when they were in that bar and whenever uh, Zaleski came in and, you know, it looked like, because he was feeling really guilty and she's like, well, speaking of that, I have something that I need to tell you. And then here comes Zaleski. So mm-hmm. the guy interrupted. So um, I think, I thought, wow, is she going to, is she going to tell? I mean, how do you, how do you say that? You know, like, no, Henry, you don't need to feel guilty. I, I'm the one that snuffed your dad. <laughs> Well, it it depends on what he finds. Like, if his dad did do something bad, if he finds out after that, then Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, thank God you killed that creepy-ass man. But if it's like before, then you got to apologize. Like, oh, well, he was a creeper, so thanks for doing that. Exactly. I think that – and I don't know. I feel like Molly – if there is something, I don't know that there is. It's just this creepy feeling that I Mm -hmm. can't shake that there's just something not right about his dad. Just something a little sinister. I just don't have the greatest of feelings. I could totally be wrong. Um, But just the way that Molly you know, seemed uncomfortable around him. The fact that she is able to pick up people's feelings, read some thoughts, uh, hear things that have happened, things like that, that she had some insight into the real Matthew Deaver. 
Um, and then also that really creepy, uh, weird interaction with Ruth when they were bringing Henry back in his coffin and she's walking in the rain with mm. looks like one of her friends and she just has that frozen look on her face as she's staring at that coffin. And it, it's like she doesn't want to talk about the past, she, you know, just kept talking about the fish, you know, as Henry's like asking her about like, we'd never talked about that time and what happened. And it's weird to think that all those years have went by and they've never, ever discussed, well, here's what happened when your dad was found. Here's what happened when you got home or here's what happened during the time. Now she may not know exactly what happened. I mean, she, I don't think knows what happened to him during those 11 days, but maybe could tell him what he missed while he was there. And it's like, they just never talked about, it. he just come home and they just, his dad's dead and they just go on with life. It seems. Um, so it's like, how much does she know or did she know uh, about Matthew Deaver? Um, it seems a little weird that Molly was able to come into the house. I know she was, she was super quiet when we saw in the last scene that she, you know, had, had unhooked him from his machines, but I almost feel like, uh, Ruth knew Molly was there. Oh yeah. And, and off him. Yeah. So I don't know. Just, well, just some weird feelings. When you talked about her, like stopping when she saw the casket, like I don't even think she knew that they were moving it, but she, in that moment you could tell she saw the coffin mm-hmm. and she knew it was her husband. Yep. Um, which was kind of, again, creepy in her own mind because, you know, she's got some health issues, so she doesn't have the greatest memory. So even if Henry told her, you would think that she probably forgot about it. Mm-hmm. But here she is, she stops in her tracks, just coincidentally being there as it's coming by and seeing that it is her husband and knowing, which again, I don't know if that's just a little teaser of anything, but it just, it was kind of intriguing for sure. It was, it was. So what's your number three? Uh, let's see. So we talked about my number three. So my number two okay. uh, kind of ties into um, – I basically you talked about it a little bit, but it's, it's what does Alan know? So we got a yes. little bit of it where you know is is what Alan knows just that Henry did it? Because he talks about, hey, I got a note from your dad in all caps that said Henry did it. Mm-hmm. And so he's really protecting you know not only Henry, but he's protecting Henry's mom because obviously they have some relationship. Henry doesn't buy into that. You can tell if Henry thinks this is a trick deep down, he doesn't know. So I'm sure there's a lot of like, you know, fears in that, but he asked a very valid question. It's like, well, what the hell were you doing out in the woods looking for me? Like it'd been 11 days. You were just out there randomly. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a deeper thing that Alan knows. I thought he was going to spill the beans here. Cause he's like, let's just cut the shit. And let me tell you what I know. Yeah. I feel like he held back. He told him enough probably to scare Henry away because for Alan and Alan's mom, or for Alan and Henry's mom, and probably even Henry, that's probably the safest thing. Mm-hmm. Because Alan knows the deep like darkness of Castle Rock. He knows that this kid is evil, or thinks that there, there's some kid that's evil. Right. And so, again, like I think he, he knows something, he's trying to protect everybody and Castle Rock by trying to scare Henry away. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and uh, man, Scott Glenn, I can't say enough about that guy. I really like that guy. Yeah, um, I mean, he doesn't really change up his like character much. It's kind of the same character, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's such a good character. Like he's one of the best things from uh, Sucker Punch. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's watch the trailer. Greatest trailer ever. Really? You know, yeah. I, like when I saw this movie, it was coming out in, like two thousand eight, I think two thousand nine. Uh huh. It was like badass chicks, like. They're in like an insane asylum and you see them like they like think that they're actually fighting like dragons and fighting Nazis. And, like they're doing all this crazy stuff. And then Scott uh, Glenn's in it. He's kind of like the Yoda of it. 
Of course. <laughs> um, he says like the greatest line ever is like, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall. Or if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, uh, which is a really cool line. Yeah. But the movie itself. Oh, yeah. I was say yeah. it must have been a bit of a pooper because I have not heard of it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I watched it once in theaters and just did not like it. It was really oh, disappointed. Rewatched the trailer like 10 years later. I'm like, maybe I should give it a second try. Well, I would. I'll watch the trailer. It sounds like at least there there is that to look forward to. But I I pretty much like almost everything that I've seen him in anyway. And and you know he he seems to say seems to play almost all the same type of character. He doesn't you know even though he does it really well, he kind of stays. It seems like within the same realm of character, which I'm okay with because he's awesome. I like him. That's awesome. So my number two, let's see, that was your number two. My number two we've already talked about um, was the kid and, and you know, learning a little, about, a little bit about him. I'll have a little bit more to say about him in my number one because I think we probably have the same number one. So unless you have anything else to add about that scene with the kid and yep. that deputy warden, we'll move on to your number one. All right. So my number one, Rima, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Oh, man. I'll never think of that the same again. (laughs) Uh, So we see like at the beginning, she said, I didn't catch it the first time. I caught it later. But he goes in there. He has a weird, creepy smile on his face and he starts putting smiley faces on the monitors. Mm -hmm. He goes down and he just learns that uh, Henry basically saying, hey, sorry, dude, I can't go through with this. We're taking the plea deal. We're getting the kid out of here. You know, you're kind of on your own. And this is where, like, I think up to this point we knew Shawshank was probably not a great place. No. Um, but this shows that, like, on a nightly basis it's awful. We learned that, like, they threw de-lousing spray in some dude's eye on purpose. There's, like, numerous instances on these monitors where these guards are just beating the crap out of people for, like, no good reason. Like, he walks in that day, and a guard is just beating the crap out of a guy, and the guy's like, what did I do? Like, he didn't do anything wrong from the sounds mm-hmm. of it. And so... uh Officer Zelensky has enough, it seems, and goes on a rampage. So the uh, scene that or the the bodies that we saw an episode or two ago of the guards seems to have maybe been a uh, foreshadowing of what he did. Yes. So glad you made that connection, too. Yeah. I don't know if the bodies all fell exactly the same way. I'd like to go back and look, but it seemed like it was very much like where the bodies had fallen in the first one. They kind of fell here. Mm Mm-hmm. The very end of this is he he kills the last guard and walks up to Henry and says, I want to testify. Mm-hmm. And he won't get the chance. And Shawshank, Castle Rock made sure he wouldn't get the chance. And he just gets shotgun blasted and um, they take him out. And that's where it ends. That's, it just ends right there. I know. And and it was so hard to not just, you know, keep going on to the next episode and and – see what the hell was happening because or is it out yet is it out tomorrow comes out wednesday so yeah, this tomorrow. episode releases wednesday morning so to be out when this episode comes yeah, out yeah so we couldn't have jumped ahead if we'd wanted to because it doesn't release we're recording the day before it's it's releasing so we can get caught up with the current schedule so uh, maybe it's a good thing i couldn't jump ahead it, it gives me time to process this one which is what we always enjoy about doing our weekly episodes so yeah that that's also my number one i just I don't know where, how to feel now about poor Dennis Zaleski. Um, 
I really liked his line whenever he was meeting with Henry in the bar and he's, you know, Henry's telling him and he's like, there's not going to be a jury. You're not going to be able to testify. And this isn't our primary goal. I know there's a lot of shit that's happening at Shawshank, but this is not what we're after. You know, this is what we need to focus on. And we don't want you going off edge here and losing that focus um, to what our goal is. And that's to get the kid out. Um, You know, we can try to save exposing Shawshank for the shit place that it is. Um, at another date. And I mean, this, like you said, goes into a long history of Shawshank. I mean, we in the Shawshank Redemption, you know, there was, you know, all of the corruption that was happening within its walls. And it doesn't look like things have really changed much, whether it's state run or privately run, that's for sure. But he's talking with Henry and he says, you know how they always say that Castle Rock has some kind of luck? Not really luck though, is it? Bad shit happens here because bad people know they're safe here. How many times can one fucking town look the other way? Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was really great because it kind of talks, that's kind of what, you know, some of the narration that we were getting from Warden Lacey in, in one of the prior episodes, he was kind of talking about, you know, the Castle Rock, uh, in quotations, luck, um, and how, you know, it's like he was aware of what happens in that town. Um, so we talked a little bit about his interaction, or we were, I know we we're going to mention anyway, his interaction with the kid. And, you know, he goes and he talks to him, tells him, you know, he's like, you know, I've got cameras on you, you know, it's going to be okay. And he tries to give him that fist bump and he Mm -hmm. teaches him how to do this fist bump. And I'm curious, did you notice the change in music when their fists finally did touch and bump? There was this change in music and there was a slight change in Zaleski's eyes. I uh, I noticed that like after it he seemed different and mm-hmm. I wrote down I think that he was possessed at this point or something had changed in him to like I if he didn't fist bump him I don't think he would have went on his murder ram- murderous rampage mm-hmm. because the kid the Shawshank prisoner seemed very reluctant to do that because I think uh, Officer Zelensky was the one that kind of finished the job for the fist bump yeah. I, and I'm and I'm struggling here. I don't know because, and I don't think that we're supposed to know. I don't know that we'll find out for sure. Um, so we know that he's, you know, he's kind of losing his mind a little bit here, Officer Zaleski. And this episode is kind of bookended with the music, as you mentioned, "Clap Your Hands." That uh, the the song "Clap Hands" is by Tom Waits, and this is, you know, during the earlier parts where he believes he's making a difference that he can, he can make a change. If he testifies, he can make a change and expose Shawshank for what it is because he can't, he can't stand to be around it anymore. And he wants to do some good in the world. And then it ends with the song crying by Roy Orbison, which I really love that song. I'm a Roy Orbison fan and I really like that song. Um, and this is basically where he loses his shit. And, I, I don't know if, I mean, I, don't, I feel like events like this, is, it was kind of hard to watch because there's been lots of mass shootings in the news and it's always difficult to hear about. And it's, you know, it's, you, you don't quite know and never really can explain what the person's motivations are. And we see all of this from episode one to this episode, all of this good that Officer Zaleski tries to do. He reaches out, tries to get help for this kid. He's trying to do the right thing. You know, he's absolutely disgusted by all of the things that's happening there at Shawshank and wants to expose it. He's just a good family guy. He cares about his family. He wants to just make a living for his family. He's got a baby on the way. So mm. we get all of this good guy oh, crap, stuff about, about him. That. Yeah, he's got that a baby kind of makes on the way. a little bit more sad, yeah. I know. So he's, you know, we get all this good guy stuff. Like everybody thinks he's a good guy and 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 we're led to believe that. And then he does this. Um 
And these things really defy any kind of explanation, really, as to why people do these types of acts. So I don't really think that, um, you know, we're supposed to really know exactly. But I think that you can go back and forth as to why he did it. And some of it could be, you know, just this after this constant exposure, it was this declining mental state, you know, that he just couldn't take it anymore. And I think he essentially, or this is just a theory. I think it could go either way. And I'm not quite sure what to believe that it was what pushed him over the edge was when Henry's like, you know what, I'm going back to Texas. We're not doing the hearing. Not only is there not going to be a judge and he's not going to testify, but there's not even going to be a hearing. I'm going back to Texas. This is just how it's going to be. And I think he, you know, you could look at that. He just kind of snapped and Mm -hmm. did what he did. Or, was he under the kid's spell, like you just mentioned, the, with the little fist bump? Um, so I think that you can theorize either way. And as you mentioned, I also believe that that first episode kind of foretold that shooting, the mass shooting, um, yeah. down to where Zaleski would shoot each officer. If you kind of notice as you're following him along in the cameras, um, I don't, we don't get it shot for shot. Um, in every single um, frame that happens when we saw it in the, the previous episodes where, you know, it looked like the kid was the one killing these folks that he had somehow escaped. Um, but you get a lot of the same kind of scenes uh, where the guards are lying between in like those long hallways and in between the um, the bars and the, and the doors and stuff. So this also, because I was looking up some information and it was talking about this possible connection to the Crimson King, it also got got me to looking up some more information on the Crimson King and what the Crimson King is really infamous for is he can compel people who are already kind of on the edge or have kind of a twisted mind or disturbed, I guess, essentially to commit acts of evil that he can compel them. So I think that there could be a little bit of a trace there that somehow this is another little tie-in maybe to the Crimson King. I don't know. That's just something, you know, that once I started, you know, I already referenced um, where I was reading about the Crimson King earlier. I'm like, oh my God, that's right. Freaking Crimson King. He's like involved in everything. (laughs) Stephen King universe, either him or one of his damn minions um, is, is always involved in something and evil in Stephen King's books. And that's definitely something that he does is he makes people, he can kind of make people do these evil things. So, you know, maybe Zaleski was compelled to do that. So I don't know if it's, if it's that, was he just, you know, in a declining mental state because of what he was around? I don't know. I'm kind of rambling just a little bit. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think it'd be really interesting that if they could, I know Stephen King kind of came out and said, hey, enjoy the Easter eggs, but Castle Rock is its own thing. Yes. So I'm not sure if they're going to push too hard to tie it directly to like the Crimson King or something like that. But if mm-hmm. they drop like little bits of like, you know, maybe that's a plan for episode two where they'll take this and make this like a, you know, a dark tower type of show. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll just tag it into different ideas from the King universe. But, but I really like that idea if there's like some kind of thing in the background kind of you know, puppeting the or puppeteering this stuff to happen. Yeah. Um, and it seems to fit because, you know, Officer Zelensky was kind of on the edge. This event really helped to push him over the edge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if there's something that can kind of uh, take advantage of that, definitely sounds like the Crimson King. Yeah. Like he was already on the edge. He just was given a push mm-hmm. and compelled to do, do to perform this horrendous act um, amongst his, his peers in in the prison. So... Yeah, I don't know. That's just something I'm throwing out there. So that's that's all that I had for my number one. Did you have any notes on the show? 
Uh, we talked about all the notes I had. I mean, a lot of it was tied around kind of the different boxes and things like that. Um, yeah. Like I said, kind of a slow episode, but ended on a really, really high intense moment. So I'm curious what other notes you might have. Well, actually, the only one that I have that we didn't already talk about, again, uh, because I can't get off this Crimson King uh, wave that I've got going on here. Just a quick little note and and fun fact that something you might appreciate, Sean, since you are a fan of. He is believed to be the same species as the monster It. Some some even uh, go so far to believe It is his son, but that's unofficial. Nice. I would love to see Skarsgård like just put on the uh, you know the Pennywise outfit for this. That'd be right. awesome. Exactly. Yeah, I thought you'd appreciate that little tie-in. Like I said, it's nothing official. It's just you know I think kind of thrown out there amongst uh, you know lots of um, hardcore Stephen King fans that love to throw those theories out about um, the Crimson King and uh, the mystery surrounding him. So nice. I like it. Good stuff. Okay, so that leads us into our news for the week. We have uh, one item in particular, and then we have some Easter eggs that I think some folks might appreciate. So the first item that we have, um, oh gosh, I totally forgot. This was the New York Post. Sorry, I didn't write it in my notes, but I remember now pulling this one from the New York Post. Um, Scott Glenn, a.k.a. Sheriff Alan Pangborn on Hulu's Castle Rock, was climbing down a steep cliff this spring in Idaho looking for human remains. Um, But the 79-year-old actor was not on location filming a movie or a TV show. He was doing his part-time job as a reserve deputy sheriff in Comas County, joining others searching for a 30-year-old woman who had disappeared during the winter. Uh, The family couldn't find her, Glenn says. A bear hunter and his dog found this car at the bottom of a 100-foot cliff near Soldier Mountain. The car wasn't damaged. The seatbelt was undone. There was no blood. It was her car that she drove off a cliff. Glenn, who played astronaut Alan Shepard in The Right Stuff and Jodie Foster's FBI boss in The Silence of the Lambs, joined the Deputy Reserve Sheriff Program five or six years ago when he saw that Comas County Sheriff Dave Sanders was shorthanded after spending 74 hours evacuating homeowners from a forest fire. How does Glenn fit in his life of service with his love of acting? Here's my deal with Sanders, he says. If I don't answer the phone when he calls, he knows I'm working or visiting my kids in L.A. But if he calls and I pick up, I can't say, "Um, I have an important dinner. I have to load my rifle and go in. (laughs) This dude is like pure badass. He's 79 years old and he is a honorary, not even honorary. He is a A deputy reserve reserve deputy. That is awesome. Isn't that amazing that he's just like... You know, hey, I see you're shorthanded. I can do some good here. Let me help you out. And the article, I didn't have it. Um, the article was a little bit long and I cut some of it out. But um, it also said that he didn't want to have to take money to do the job that he, the um, oh, cool. sheriff told him. He's like, well, I, you have to get paid because you're a state employee. You can't be a state employee if you don't get paid. So he gets a dollar a year. Oh, wow. Is that's, all that. Yeah, that's all that that's he took awesome. for this job. Um Otherwise, he can't. He couldn't have taken the job. So I was like, Scott Glenn, damn it. Yeah, like Good him man. more and more. I know. All right. Well, how, how about a little some Easter eggs from this week's episode? So we got three familiar names. So family names reoccur often in Stephen King's novel, and Castle Rock continues that tradition by ensuring several memorable surnames are carried on by its characters, three of whom have a direct connection to King's Castle Rock-based novella, The Body later adapted into the film Stand By Me. When we first see Henry Deaver, uh, he's defending a woman on death row named Leanna Chambers, so who's been accused of killing her abusive husband, Richard. 
Then when we meet Molly Strand, she's buying drugs from a young man named Dean Merrill. Finally, in episode four of The Box, Henry is investigating the address of a man named Vince Desjardin, <laughs> only to find his brother Joseph at the house instead. Richard Chambers, John Ace Merrill, and Vince Desjardin uh, were all members of the gang of bullies that plagued our heroes in the body. And even if they haven't necessarily survived to be part of the series, their names clearly have. Yeah, interesting little tie-in, I thought. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I was hearing a little bit from Mark Bernard when we were talking about the uh, writer's room for this show. Mm-hmm. And I think like the first week or couple weeks, they all picked out different King books and they just did research. Nice. Um, so it's really cool that they dug deep in to find like deep cuts like this. Absolutely. I love the little tie-ins. And as much as what, you know, I don't find them too distracting, these Easter eggs, but it sure is fun when you're just, you know, watching. Because I do watch just to enjoy. I don't watch looking for a tie-in to a Stephen King novel or, or a shout-out to anything or a reference. But it's certainly fun when you're watching to kind of pick up some of those. Um, do you want me to take that next one so you don't have to read so much? Uh, sure, go ahead. Okay, the second one. Uh, during the same speech, Lacey also asks viewers if we remember The Strangler, a killer who terrorized Castle Rock in its troubled past. The Strangler in question is Frank Dodd, a former, former Castle Rock Sheriff's deputy in King's novel The Dead Zone. Dodd was a sadist and serial murderer who killed himself when the psychic powers of the novel's hero, Johnny Smith, implicated him. In the film adaptation, this famously happened with the aid of a pair of scissors. In episode four, Dodd gets another mention when Molly Strand mentions to a couple she's trying to sell the Lacey house and that she lives in the house where the strangler died <laughs> and she sleeps fine. <laughs> so the origin of Castle Rocks, this is number three, the final one. Castle Rock is now almost always associated with Stephen King, but the name for this iconic town didn't come out of thin air. King was inspired by William Golding's 1954 novel, The Lord of the Flies, a story about a group of schoolboys who formed their own attempt at violent society after being stranded on a desert island and organizing themselves the boys name a mountain on the island castle rock and claim it as a kind of fortress in episode two the kid is placed in a cell with a violent neo-nazi who was just so happens to be reading lord of the flies that's a pretty cool little kind of you know deep deep cut yeah i don't think i ever knew the history of castle rock where stephen king might have gotten that these are these are easter eggs that like i mean if you if you're like stephen king like Doctor, you know, do, you're like you have a doctrine in Stephen <laughs> King. You would see these things, but otherwise, it's kind of like you see him after the fact. Like, oh, that's kind of cool, but it doesn't beat you over the head as you're watching it. Exactly. You definitely have to be well versed in the in the world of Stephen King. And I I have admitted a couple of times over the course of this podcast, Castle Rock, so far, I do love Stephen King. I've read many of his works, seen many of the movies. I've not read everything, and I'm certainly not as smart as some of these folks. I'll admit, um, I'm going to credit Sci-Fi Wire for these particular Easter eggs this week. This is nothing that I claim to have. Um, I did make the connections with some of the names on my own, but like digging up the whole story, I'm not going that far into my research. So Sci-Fi Wire um, gave me the full background on some of these. I certainly did not know about that, about Castle Rock. Um, and I did not read The Dead Zone, so I wasn't familiar with... I know it had to be referenced because we did keep talking about... The, or they kept talking about the strangler um so i'm like well that's got to be in there somewhere but because i haven't seen the movie or read the book um it was lost on me on which uh work of his that it would be referencing so thanks sci-fi wire for giving us a couple of those so that also leads us into 
Letters from Shawshank Prison. One of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is getting to listen to what you folks have to say. And it looks like you guys are totally digging this show as much as uh, me and Sean. So thanks so much, everyone. I'm really anxious. Um, I haven't read this in detail, so I'm excited. Um, the first one we have is from Avelino Rashino. Um, he says the season has been a slow burn so far, but I'm really enjoying this total immersion in the Stephen King universe. I really like the Easter eggs, the ambiguity of prisoner X and the, and the underlying mystery of castle rocks sleeping evil has me excited and creeped out. I'm also enjoying both of your theories so far as to the true nature of the waiting evil. Also, I don't know if you mentioned it, but in episode two, when the football player was tackled hard, that was a callback to the character Dennis from the movie, Christine, who was injured badly in a similar way. Oh, nice. Chris, Thanks, Evelina. Christine was a good, good movie. It was. Uh, Christine Hall. So this episode was a holy shit episode. Not only am I intrigued by what happened to Henry for the 11 days, but Sawalski totally spelled that wrong. Going murder <laughs> riot. After touching the prisoner, mind you, was a mouth in the floor moment. I cannot wait for the next episode. You and me both, Kristen. Uh, next one is from Rory Toms. I tried to explain what's going on to my brother who came in cold at episode four and realized just how many intertwining stories are going on. Smiley face, Scott Glenn and Sissy Spacek are awesome. I totally agree, Rory. They're great. So Maureen Favo, so deciding it was time to reread Needful Things. Not very far into it, but in the book, there is a sheriff officer scene with Alan Pangborn making shadow figures, rabbits, elephants, and local characters has me wondering if we will see Scott Glenn do the same in Castle Rock. Also forgot, Nan's Diner was such a big part of the book. Yeah. Oh, that would be a a funny little tie-in for people to pick up if Scott Glenn started Mm. doing his little shadow figures. He's like, Henry, look, it's a bunny rabbit. Yeah, good pickup. Thank you. We've got a couple emails from you guys. So the first one says, hi, guys, loving your podcast so much. One thing I have not heard you talk about are all the callbacks to King's storm of the century. Henry missing during that storm, the child turning evil via adoption, the cyclic nature of the evil returning. Anywho, great show and great podcast. Thanks again, Jody. Jody, thanks so much for reminding me of that. I had and I don't remember what episode that we were talking about, but for some reason that story popped in my head but I could not for the life of me remember the damn name of the story and I'm sitting there I'm like damn it it happened during a storm and there was this evil presence that came in during the storm because I think we were talking about you know how there's like a theme in Stephen King's stories where you know these evil presences kind of invade these small towns that we keep seeing like in Needful Things um, and so many others um, and that's what kind of happened in Storm of the Century was the storm comes and then this evil um, you know guy who's a complete mystery uh, you know kind of takes over the town and and kind of kind of makes it his own for just a bit during the storm very creepy and kind of a different works so it doesn't read like a book it's kind of like a uh, like a play okay when you read it oh. yeah it's a little bit different i remember reading that thank you so much jody for bringing that up good call back so hey there i was just listening to your podcast on castle rock's local color stephen king apparently got some inspiration from the lord of the fly story and used some of that inspiration to name the town of castle rock We've already seen the Nazi in the jail cell with the book, but the second shout out to that book was that children's court scene that freaked Rima out because of them being creepy kids. Why does that freak you out? Kids are small. You should easily be able to kick their asses. <laughs> yes, one or two kids, but a group of 20. Same. Group- Outlander! Oh my God, no, no, no. <laughs> a bunch of creepy kids holding knives at you. That I'll be shell-shocked. I ain't kicking no one's ass. I'll be shell-shocked. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Anyway, don't feel bad if you didn't pick that up. Neither did I. I heard it from another podcast and thought it was interesting, so I wanted to share it with you. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Josh from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I didn't pick that up either until I read it in the Easter eggs. Um, I didn't realize that tie in with Castle Rock. Thanks, Josh. Next one we have says, Rima and Sean, just watched and listened to your local color uh, pod. One thing I found interesting was the parallel between Molly's dream sequence in the church and her interaction with the children of the corn. They're very similar with the face coverings and basically one person turning the entire crowd on Molly. The dream sequence may or may not have happened, but the children of the corn did. Interesting parallel. I don't know what it means. I just noticed it. Lastly, there were two mentions of boats in this episode. Molly said something about boats while she was rehearsing in front of the mirror, and Henry tells the kid that Shawshank will be his boat garage. Uh, And the kid says boat in a way that made me think, Georgie, do you want your boat? Georgie, do you want your boat? Oh my my God, Sean, you do that too damn well. (laughs) Stop that. Um, He he goes on to say, could be an Easter egg or it might be important to the story. What I am pretty sure is an Easter egg. One of the things in Warden Lacey's car was moon pie wrappers. In the Green Mile, William Wharton splits a moon pie um, at one of the guards. Fun fact. Or spits, I'm sorry, not splits. Spits a moon pie at one of the guards. Good pickup. I I was wondering if there was a tie-in with something with moon pie wrappers, and I didn't catch that, so good job. Um, he goes on to say, this episode, I think, is uh, the one that sets the hook. Clearly, Pangborn thinks Henry is responsible for his dad's death, and something between Pangborn and Ruth Devers keeping him quiet. I was looking for Easter eggs in the articles Henry was reading at the library. One of the articles was about prisoners fighting forest fires, and another was about a fire that happens at Shawshank. There's nothing really re- revealing in either article that I could find, and that ending with Dennis holy crap anyway i thought sean was gonna say he folded frozen pizzas in half like a taco that's what i do what he did was way weirder (laughs) take care jake (laughs) i never said it wasn't weird i don't do it still and i actually honestly have to stop myself because i know my wife will judge me (laughs) yep (laughs) that's hilarious Okay, awesome. So we've also got a couple of voicemails this week. The first one is from Steve Brown. Hey, Sean and Rima, it's Steve from Oklahoma City. Uh, just want to share a couple of thoughts about the box. Um, and the first one is really just in general about TV shows and, and these great streaming series from both uh, Hulu and Netflix. That I'm loving how they're able to surprise me with things. Um, during the credits, I noticed that one of the pages says Total Recall. Uh, at the bottom towards the right corner. I'm going to rewatch the credits to make sure. I'm pretty sure I saw that Total Recall, and I wonder if that was supposed to be a homage to Philip K. Dick or if there's some Stephen King um, novel or story that has Total Recall in it. I don't remember, but it's during the credit scene when they're showing all those different pages of books. Um, there's uh, that the verses that uh, the kid uh, – Quotes are out of Revelation chapter 19, verses 12 and 13, about he has a name that only he himself knows and a robe dipped in blood. I um, thought that was interesting. Um, and uh, Zaleski teaching uh, the prisoner how to do a fist bump. That was that was kind of cool. Um, Alan's dream at the beginning is, is a little strange, and I think we're going to see more of that. Um, I, I laughed when the, the home buyers, or the potential home buyers, brought in the, <laughs> the urn and they said it's the cremains. Um, so, uh, finally someone asked Alan what he was doing out there in the woods that day. Um, all those, the things finally coming together and it's going to be interesting to see, um, where we go from here. Um, was that, 
interaction with Joseph uh, Desjardins, was that meant to be that he's the one that held Henry during that time? I'm not sure. Maybe I misunderstood that. But uh, I thought that was that was interesting. Um, and uh, just that ending that just shocked me. I did not expect or see that coming. So um, eager to hear what you guys have to say about this episode and uh, see what happens in the next one. Bye. Um, I misspoke that at the beginning. It's, it's Henry's dream. I'm sorry, Henry's dream about when his, his dad was searching for him. Uh, anyway, talk to you later. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, good call on the uh, Total Recall. I, I didn't pick that up. That's like, I've been watching those opening credits a lot closer to try and mm-hmm. catch like different things. So I know. There's so much, you know, play, pause, play, pause, take notes, yeah. take notes. <laughs> So many good things. We also have another voicemail this week from Laura Willie Swink. Hey, Reman Sean, this is Laura. I have been looking so forward to the debut of the series, and unfortunately, my off the grid vacation started the day after the first episode aired. <laughs> so I've been dying to hop on board not only the show, but also the podcast. And so I binged the first four episodes as soon as I could get my eyes in front of a viewing device. And by the way, Hulu Hulu doesn't offer a download for viewing offline options, so what the hell? Come on, Hulu. Um, And then I immediately listened to all your podcasts, and I am now finally up to speed. And I gotta say, the first few episodes have not disappointed. After each episode, first, you know, I can't believe how fast they go. And secondly, I just wanted to click to the next one. So I am hooked on Castle Rock. I'm also a Stephen King fan, so I love looking for the Easter eggs in each episode. And I love that you guys catch some that I haven't. And like you guys, I am so impressed by the caliber of the actors on the show. I love Melanie Linsky and her character of Molly Strand. And I was so happy to see Sissy Spacek, a.k.a. Carrie White, playing Henry's scrappy mama. (laughs) But, oh my god, Bill Skarsgård, he is doing some amazing eye acting. Yes. And given the sparsity of lines his character has, he is expressing so much with just a glance and his body motions. And I know I've mentioned this before, but if you guys have the chance, please check out at least the first season of Hemlock Grove on Netflix. That's the best one, and it shows so much more range in Bill's acting beyond just the searing glances and evil Pennywise cackling. And if you're into Stephen King and a fan of horror, you'll like it because there's lots of blood, gore, and tension. So I know you're going to love it. Back to the show, I love this premise that the devil is an angelic-looking boy whom we almost sympathize with, because in the Bible, the devil isn't a red-horned monster, but he's Lucifer Lightbringer, God's most beautiful and beloved angel. And I love the idea that the devil has taken up residence in this idyllic but forgotten main town. Also, I'm intrigued by the theory theories uh, that you guys brought up about supernatural evil versus human evil. It almost seems as if the kid is an embodiment of evil that just seems to exude this aura of doom out of his own nature, um, almost uncontrollably. But the evil of Warden Porter and her douchebag lackey is totally premeditated (laughs) and malevolent and... Speaking of evil, oh, poor tragic Officer Zelinsky. Mm-hmm. He told David Henry uh, Deaver 
that Castle Rock was safe for evil people because everyone else turns a blind eye to them. So do you guys think that Castle Rock turns some people evil who are more inclined to the darkness? Or do you think it attracts that evil like a magnet? I don't know if that makes sense, but I think it's a really interesting theme and totally different and fresh subject on the nature of evil. Um, this last episode was a game changer for sure, and I'm sure you guys will discuss it thoroughly. So all I'm going to say is I loved hearing Tom Waits in the opening scene. That song was just made to be in a creepy Stephen King production. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, <laughs> I'm so excited to unpack these mysteries with you two. And so far, this series is off to a very chilling and delicious start. Bye, y'all. Oh, gosh. Uh, great, great phone. Or great call, for sure. That was such um, a great voicemail from Laura. She always has such great insight and feedback to offer on, on uh, just all kinds of shows. Thank you, Laura, so much. I think to her question, I think it goes back to your theory, like, you know, some kind of entity is looking for things that are kind of, you know, right on the, the cusp of being evil and kind of pushing them in that direction. Yeah, I that's that's kind of what I'm going with. I I could be completely wrong, and I, and maybe even by next episode, I could completely change my <laughs> mind because Lord knows I do that a lot. But I I do think that there is something something sinister happening. Whether it's the town itself is cursed, kind of like what is uh, happens in uh, is it Derry that's in it this the town yeah, yeah. in the movie and in, in the book it same kind of um, idea. Yeah, where it's typically like kind of cursed and just bad things just kind of happen. And there's like this fog over people where they just don't, they turn a blind eye to all these missing kids and all the bad things that happen and such. So I don't know if it's something like that, if it's a particular type of evil, such as a being uh, or it's uh, this being is possessing a person, something like that. This is kind of what I'm going with for now is, um, you know, my whole theory with that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else she pointed out. Oh, it, it, I think that this episode was also a reminder. We we did talk a little bit about in a in a previous episode about the 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 evil of some sort of paranormal or supernatural type of of evil um, versus like the man the evils that men do. And I think that we got another really horrific glimpse again of the evil of men and not just of officer Zelensky in this episode, which I'm still torn. I don't know. We're just kind of left to be like, okay, well, writers are kind of like, okay, well, here it is. Here's his story. You figure it out. You pick up the pieces um, is kind of where we're left. But I think between the horror of what he did and also just the horror that we witnessed of what happens at Shawshank again, um, you know, what's worse. I, I feel like that's worse than any yeah, type of, sure paranormal or supernatural type of evil, evil beings um, that come into the towns or some cursed town, something like that. So great feedback from everyone. You guys are just knocking this shit out of the park uh, with this feedback and insight, Easter eggs, things that we miss. Um, and and thank you so much for, for bringing all of that to our attention. Keep it coming because you're making my day. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. All right, so next week, or this week, this Friday, we will be covering the fifth episode of From Castle Rock titled Harvest. So a stranger comes to town, and Castle Rock honors Sheriff Pangborn. Mm, I feel like Harvest is normally a good thing. I feel like this mm. probably is not going to be a good thing in this yeah. show. I, I don't agree. know. So we're really excited for you to travel to Castle Rock with us uh, while visiting. You can follow us on Twitter at Strange T Cast. 
You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. You can check us out on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod. You can email us at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like Legion at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or any of the other great podcastica podcast on Apple Podcast. And speaking of podcasts, make sure you check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, comes out every Sunday. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our show. Episode 50, The Box. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Josh from Lancaster is strange indeed. Georgie, do you want your boat?